so that Holy Spirit changes our mindset by reminding us of what is true and what is right. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey everybody, good morning. It's great to be with you today. Great to see all of you. My name is Riley. I'm one of the ministers here at the church. Before I dive into the message today, I want to fill you in on what we've been doing the last several weeks. We have been preaching through the book of Romans, and Romans was originally a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in Rome around 2,000 years ago. And this is one of the most famous books in the whole Bible. People really love this book because it explains the gospel super clearly. And the gospel in a sentence is, you know, the good news of how Jesus can change your life and can change the world. Throughout this series, we've been encouraging people to get baptized in response to the gospel. And uh, last week, we actually had a baptism Sunday. We want to take some time to celebrate that. So check this video out. Yeah, so throughout this series, we have celebrated 17 baptisms. Yeah, that's awesome. And 10 of those baptisms happened last week. Uh, a couple things I love about that video. First, I love the bathtub baptisms. And I also love it that we forgot to take the polar bear chlorinator out of the baptismal. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny if you saw that. Uh, so, you know, before I say anything else, I want you to know that you do not have to wait for the next baptism Sunday to get baptized. Uh, here at Plainfield Christian Church, we believe that baptism is a really important step in following Jesus. And the water's always ready. It's right up there. It might be a little cold if you don't give us time to warm it up, but it is always ready. So if you're thinking about being baptized, if you want to follow Jesus, don't wait. It really is one of the most important decisions that you will ever make. So here at Plainfield Christian Church, like I said, we believe that baptism is a really important step in following Jesus. But we also need to understand what exactly baptism does. I went to Bible college and, you know, I remember a professor talking about baptism one day. And he told us his own baptism story. He said he was a kid and, you know, he went under the water, he came up out of the water, and he just felt great. He was ready to do whatever he needed to do to follow Jesus. So he went to one of his church leaders and he said, okay, I've been baptized. What do I do next? And that church leader said, well, you've been saved. You're baptized. You don't need to do anything else. You know, I'm sure that church leader meant well, but unfortunately that's an incomplete view of baptism. Baptism is not the last thing we need to do to follow Jesus. You know, it's really just part of the process. And for many people, it's their first step in following Jesus. So over the last several weeks, Luke has preached through the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. And in those first seven chapters, Paul explains the basics of the gospel. But today we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 8. And in this chapter, Paul shifts and he begins to talk about how the gospel transforms our lives. So here's the question I want to ask you today. How does the gospel change your life? If the gospel is true, how does it change the way that you view yourself? If the gospel is true, how does it change the way you view your problems? And if the gospel is true, how does it change the focus and the purpose of your life? Like I said, we're going to be in Romans 8 today. So I'm going to begin reading and we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. The words are going to be up here on the screen. Paul said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're going to pause right there. 
So Paul starts off this chapter with the word therefore, and that's a really important word. What Paul is saying is, hey, in the first seven chapters of Romans, I told you about the gospel. Therefore, this is what it means for your life. And then after that, Paul says that we are freed from the law of sin and death. What I want you to know is that the gospel is a message of freedom. Last week, Luke preached a whole sermon about freedom in Christ. It was great. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I encourage you to go to our website and watch it online. Uh, But, you know, I really want to take some time to explain this freedom so that you understand everything else that Paul is getting ready to say. So, you know, there's a lot of different people in this room. There are people from different places. There are certainly people that believe different things, but I'm guessing there is one thing that we can all agree on, and that is that nobody is perfect. You know, if anybody says they're perfect, they're either confused or they're lying. Nobody is perfect. And, you know, that's a problem because God is perfect. He's holy. And because of that, he can't stand to be around sin. And the Bible calls all the mistakes that we make sin. Every time we sin, we get farther and farther from God. And the problem with our sin is that there is nothing that a human being can do to fix their sin. It's just part of our nature to make mistakes. So, you know, God saw this problem. And because of this, that's why he sent his son Jesus to come here to earth and live a perfect life to be our sin offering. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He took the punishment for our sin. Because of our sin, we deserve death. But Jesus took that punishment. And after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death once and for all. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, now we can have eternal life with God one day. You know, but here's the thing. The gospel just doesn't affect our future. It should also affect our life here on earth now. But the problem is that there's so many people who, you know, they believe the gospel message, but they don't really act like it. Many of us in this room, believe the gospel message. We understand our need for a savior. Many of us have accepted Jesus as our savior. We know that we need him because we cannot fix our sin problem. But there's so many religious people and so many Christians, I'm sure even some people in this room, that just don't feel free. We continue to live like we're trapped by our sin. Some of you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins, but you don't act like it. Because of that, you're still trying to work for God's approval. You believe that you have to maintain a certain standard for God to love and bless you. And you also believe that if you mess up, God might punish you or even send you to hell. If this is you, you're always asking, have I done enough? And speaking from experience, that question leads to constant anxiety and eventually spiritual burnout. If you fall into this trap, you read your Bible, you go to church, you pray, you serve, and you follow a certain moral code because of a sense of obligation and not because of the hope and joy that the gospel brings you. I'd like for you to read a scripture with me. The words are gonna be up here on the screen. This is one of my favorite scriptures. This is a Matthew 11, 28 through 30. These are the words of Jesus. Let's read them together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are the words of Jesus. Do these verses describe your life as a follower of Jesus? Have you found rest for your soul? Or are you still asking the question, have I done enough? You know, this is what Jesus really wants for us. 
And through him, we can find rest for our souls, knowing that he has paid the ultimate price for our sin. I'm going to continue reading in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Whenever we baptize someone here at Plainfield Christian Church, we say something, and you might have heard it in the background of the video earlier. What we say is, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Part of the reason that we do that is because that's what Jesus told us to do. He says that in Matthew chapter 28. But we also do that because there's greater significance behind it. And one of the things that I love about the verses that we just read in Romans 8 is they hint at something called the doctrine of the Trinity. Here at Plainfield Christian Church and in most churches around the world, we believe in the Trinity. And that's the idea that there is one God who exists as three distinct persons. Those are God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of those persons, they're equal and they work together in perfect unity. And the cool thing about the verses we just read in Romans 8 is that they mention the role that each member of the Trinity has in our salvation. God the Father, he's the creator. He's the perfect strategist. And he knew that we had a problem with our sin. We could not save ourselves. So that's why he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and to be a sin offering and to take the punishment for our sin. And now the Holy Spirit is with us today and he gives us the power to overcome our sin. So that's the basics of the Trinity. It's a big issue. One of the things I do want to acknowledge is that through a lot of Christian history, the Trinity has been a source of debate. And even today, there's a lot of different religious groups around the world who doubt the Trinity. You know, I I promise you that, you know, we, we could spend an entire sermon series explaining biblical evidence for the Trinity. Or, you know, I could point to different things in science and nature that I believe help us understand the way the Trinity works. But I don't have time to do that today. I've only got 25 minutes, and I'm sure I'm going to go over anyway. Uh, So you're just going to have to take my word for it. Uh, Here's the one thing that I do want to leave you with. I've had a lot of friends over the years who've liked to argue with me about the Trinity or have just had questions. And here's one of the things that always comes up. People like to say, oh, Riley, the Trinity, that doesn't make any sense to me. You guys believe in three gods, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because one plus one plus one, that equals three. Well, okay, here's what I like to say to those friends. One plus one plus one may equal three, but I don't worship a God of addition. I worship a God of multiplication. One times one times one still equals one. So uh, I'm not a mathematician. I'm a pastor. Yeah, I've not taken a math class since I was in high school, but that makes sense to me. So uh, here's the important thing that you need to know. We worship one God who exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of those persons plays a very key role in our salvation. That's the Trinity. I'm going to go back to Romans 8. I'm going to pick up reading again in verse 5. This is the longest section I'm going to read today, so bear with me. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. So after Paul mentions each person of the Trinity, he talks a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. And I think this is really great. You know, in a lot of American churches, we don't talk much, and dare I say enough, about the Holy Spirit. And part of that is because the controversy surrounding the Holy Spirit in American culture. You know, you hear a lot of people ask questions like, well, when does someone receive the Holy Spirit? Or what about these miraculous spiritual gifts? Those are the kind of questions that we get hung up on. Well, you know, Paul does not address any of those things in Romans chapter 8, so we're not going to talk about them today. The question that we're trying to answer is, how does the Holy Spirit change your life? And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit plays a key role in changing your life. So here's two things I'd like to suggest, two different ways the Holy Spirit can change our hearts. First, the Holy Spirit changes our mindset. Here's something Paul said in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. So when we follow Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I want to share a few scriptures with you just to explain how the Holy Spirit helps change our mindset. So the first one of these is John 14, 26. These are the words of Jesus. He said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So later, Paul, uh, in Ephesians 6, 17, he calls the Bible, which is God's word, the sword of the spirit. Keep that in mind too. And then in Hebrews 4, 12, here's what the Bible says about itself. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Holy Spirit changes our mindset by reminding us of what is true and what is right. And I think that's definitely been the truth in my life. There have been times where I've either wanted to do something bad or I've not wanted to do something good. And the Holy Spirit has brought the right thing to my mind. And very often the way that works for me is a Bible verse pops in my head, the sword of the Spirit. I think this really highlights the importance of knowing your Bible and spending time in your Bible regularly. If you're not spending time in your Bible, you are not giving the Spirit a sword to use to reshape your heart and your mind. So here's the second thing that the Spirit does. The Spirit realigns our priorities. I'd like to go back to verse 13 and read that for you again. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. So when we follow our, our flesh, our natural desires, it leads to death. But when we follow the Spirit, the desires of God, that's what leads to life. And I believe that this is certainly true in a spiritual sense. You know, if we follow the things of the Spirit, then we will have eternal life with God one day. But I believe it's also true in a practical sense. I'd like for you to read another scripture with me. It's going to be on the screen up here. This is 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. Let's read it together. All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever. There are a lot of encouraging verses in the Bible. That is not one of them. Uh, I've never seen anybody hang that in their kitchen before. Uh, 
So, you know, that's not the most encouraging Bible verse, but I believe that the wisdom there is true. The truth is that the things of this world, the desires of our flesh, those things are going to pass away. But the desires of the Spirit, those things are going to last forever. Earlier this year, Ancestry.com did a survey, and in this survey, they found out that 53% of Americans cannot name all four of their grandparents. Yeah, I was pretty surprised by that too. There may be someone in this room that does something great and is remembered for a long, long time. But the truth is that most of us will be forgotten in two or three generations. And I think that's a really sobering fact that should make us think about our future. As we live and as we work, we are preparing for our eternity, but we're also building a legacy here on earth. And we need to build a legacy that will last. So we need to instill the values of the spirit in the next generation. We need to share our faith with others so that they can be prepared for their eternal destiny. And we need to help build God's kingdom here on earth because those are the things that will have eternal significance. I could talk a lot about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, but I want you to know that I believe in the power of the Spirit because of how it's changed my own mindset and my own priorities. I've been a part of this church for a long time. A lot of you have known me since I was a little kid, before the beard. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I'm a natural introvert. So I would spend hours in the woods behind my house just playing by myself. I was one of those kids that if I got in trouble and my parents said, hey, go to your room, I was like, great, that's where I want to be anyway, away from all you people. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have a ton of great friends, but I think there were times in my life where I didn't really care to have a ton of great friends. Uh, I had a middle school teacher of mine come up to me after the first service, and she actually said, I don't remember you being very introverted. You were really loud. And I said, well, I was super loud because I was shy and awkward and didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how to interact with people. As I got older, God really grabbed a hold of my heart and he taught me the importance of being with others and especially helping others. And now that's my passion. I've had people ask me before, you know, how do you go on these mission trips where you spend time with all these people that are different from you? Or, you know, how do you have all these appointments with people as a pastor? And honestly, the only thing I can say is praise God for the work that he has done in my life because I could not do that without him. I truly believe that if you're struggling with something, if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, he will help you overcome whatever it is that you're struggling with. Let's go back to Romans 8. I'm going to continue reading in verse 14. Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I want to talk a lot more about what it means to be adopted by God, but really quickly, I want to hone in on that phrase, Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew word for father or for dad. It's an intimate term. When I was in college, I had a friend that loved to pray. He was a little older than me. He kind of became like an older brother to me. And I I owe a lot of my passion for prayer to this friend. But when we first started praying together, he did something that really caught me off guard. You know, most of us, when we pray, we start our prayers off with our father in heaven or dear God or something like that. This friend, when he would start his prayers, he'd start off by saying, hey, dad. And, you know, the first few times I heard that, I was like, dude, you were praying to the, you know, all-powerful, everlasting creator of the universe. Maybe you should address him with a more formal and respectful name. But the more I thought about it, the more I began to wonder. Yes, God is our all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting creator of the universe. 
but he's also our Abba, Father. Whatever name you choose to call God when you pray, just talk to him like he's your dad. I truly believe that he wants to know the deepest desires of our hearts and that he wants to hear from us. So talk to him like that when you pray. I'm going to pick back up reading in Romans 8, 16. And this is going to be the last thing I read in Romans 8 for today. Paul says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So Paul says that we are adopted by God. We have become God's children, which is awesome. But to truly understand what that means, I think we need to understand how Paul saw adoption. So there was no concept of adoption in ancient Jewish culture, and there was no concept of adoption in the Old Testament. So Paul borrowed this example from Roman culture, which was really, uh, really important because he was writing a letter to the Roman church. One of the things I love about Paul is that, you know, he was a great theologian. He was great at explaining these big ideas about God, but he was also a great missionary. He did it in ways that people could understand. So, you know, in our culture, adoption, I would say, is a very kind and even sacrificial thing. You know, we are giving a home and a family to someone that doesn't have it. But in Roman culture, the motives behind adoption were much more selfish. What would happen is wealthy and powerful Roman men would adopt talented sons to ensure their legacies. And talented young men from less privileged families would try to be adopted by wealthy and powerful Roman men to advance their position in society. The most famous story of adoption in Roman history actually begins with a man named Julius Caesar. We've got Caesar's picture up here today. I'm sure if you know history, you know the name Julius Caesar. He's very famous. And what happened was Caesar was a very powerful political and military leader in Rome. And over time, he became so powerful that he named himself the dictator, the absolute ruler of Rome. But Caesar didn't rule for long. Shortly after he came to power, he was assassinated by his political rivals. Well, Caesar had a complicated family. So when he died, he didn't have a male heir. But what he did do is he named an adopted son in his will. And that son's name was Octavian. We also have a picture of Octavian here. So when Caesar died, Octavian inherited Caesar's property, his wealth, and most importantly, his armies. And the first thing that Octavian did is he went after Caesar's assassins. He defeated them in a series of battles and he killed them. And what happened after that is Octavian started fighting more battles against his own political rivals. And over time, he won all those battles and eventually he took control of Rome. And after that happened, Octavian was made the first emperor of Rome. And when that happened, he changed his name to Caesar Augustus in honor of his adopted father because none of his success would have been possible without Caesar. I think what Paul is saying to the church in Rome is that, hey, you know how Julius Caesar adopted Octavian and he became the first emperor of Rome? Well, God, the creator and ruler of the universe has adopted us. And because of that, we have an amazing inheritance. You know, the amazing thing about God is that, uh, you know, wealthy and powerful Roman men, they adopted sons to ensure their legacy. But God really didn't have anything to gain by adopting us. If anything, we just complicate everything for him. <laughs> so yeah, God adopted us because he loved us. Some of you know that my wife and I, we welcomed our first child into the world about six months ago. His name's Johnny. I got a picture of him up here on the screen. Yeah, I know, he's cute. Uh, <laughs> 
so uh, I'm gonna break one of my preacher rules today. Before I had a kid, I hated it when preachers would talk about their kids in their sermons. Uh, yeah, preachers like uh, Luke Proctor. Uh, <laughs> so if you're in the room, Luke, I'm sorry. It says, sorry, man, I get it now. But uh, yeah, now that I've got a kid, I just, I talk about my kid all the time. I don't have anything else to talk about. Uh, if you know me, you know that I've got a lot of friends from around the world. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. And when I had a son, I noticed that a lot of these friends started calling me by different names. So I've got some friends here at the church that are from Congo. And in their culture, when a man has a son, they call him Papa in the name of his son. So I'm Papa Johnny, uh, which I like, but none of you are allowed to call me that, okay? <laughs> I wanna make that very clear. Uh, I have some friends that are Arab as well. And in Arab culture, they do something similar, but they take it a step further. So in their culture, a father is called father of and then the name of his son. And then a son is called son of and then the name of his father. So when, when I travel around the world, uh, well, first, let me say, I go by the name Riley, but that's my middle name. My first name is John. And when I travel around the world, I meet people who maybe don't speak English super well. So Riley, for some reason, is a hard name for some people to pronounce. So sometimes I meet friends from around the world and I just say, call me John, it's okay. Well, if I have an Arabic speaking friend who you know, doesn't speak English very well, I normally tell them to call me Yahya because that's an Arabic translation for John. So you know, my Arab friends, some of them, they call me Abu Yahya, which means the father of John, since my son's name is Johnny. And then they call my son Ibn Yahya, which means the son of John, since my first name is John. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Around the world and throughout history, people have been defined by their relationships with others. And this is something that's really hard for Americans to understand. You know, we believe in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We believe that through hard work and determination, anybody can become whatever they want to be, no matter what family they're born into or where they are born. But unfortunately, that isn't the reality for people all around the world. In some places, the tribe you're born into, the caste you're born into, or the family you're born into determines your social standing, your job, who you can marry, or even your religion for the rest of your life. And that would have certainly been true to the people that Paul was writing to as well. So what Paul is saying to the church in Rome is, you're not defined by the relationships you used to have with all these other people. You're defined by your relationship with God because he is your father. You remember the question I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, how does the gospel change your life? The good news of the gospel is that we are free from sin and death because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome our sin. And the good news of the gospel is that if we live a life according to the Spirit, we will be adopted into God's family. And because of that, we'll be able to spend eternity with him in heaven. But here's the thing. It's important to know. The gospel just doesn't affect our eternal future. It affects our lives here and now. If you feel worthless, know that you have great value because you are a child of God. And if you're struggling with something, know that, you know, God, your generous and loving father is gonna give you everything you need. And know that you have an amazing purpose because you are a member of God's family. Paul does not promise that everything will be easy. Paul said that because we are Jesus' co-heirs, we'll share not only in his glory, but also his sufferings. And you know, it's not only it's always gonna be easy to live a life according to the spirit. There are gonna be times where, you know, there will be temptations. There will be times where people don't understand us because we're living a certain way. There will be times where people mistreat us because of the things that we choose to do. 
But in those moments, we must remember that God, our Father, will give us a greater inheritance than anything we could find on earth. And he has given us a greater significance than anything we could find here on earth. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it is better. It is so much better. I'd like to close today by praying for you. Let's pray. Hey, Dad, our Father in heaven, I thank you for the gospel, the good news that changes our lives both now and forever. I thank you for loving us and choosing us in spite of your sin and wanting us to be a part of your family. Lord, I thank you for loving us unconditionally. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can overcome whatever sin we're struggling with in our lives. Father, I thank you for loving us. I say all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.